0: So, we begin our study this morning with Romans chapter 9. If you'll open your Bibles there, please, and we'll be getting to that text very shortly. And so, this, as we continue you know, our study, this is the second half uh, of, of the book. And so, you know, express my gratitude for all the work that Carrie did in presenting you know, God's Word to us, you know, found in the first eight chapters. And. Um, I'm going to use you know a couple of of his uh, of his formatting that he did you know, as you recognize you know this this slide, but also um, very quickly, I wanted to run through his uh weekly briefings as an just a quick overview I'm just going to read through these and you can kind of follow along you know, as we go through this you know, and as it builds and lays down the foundation and the groundwork for you know the next sections that we Uh, Consider and read and meditate upon Starting chapter 1 and following it says the gospel of christ produces an obedient faith in the one who believes resulting in salvation Gentiles need salvation because refusing to accept god has resulted in their spiritual depravity Jews likewise need salvation because they too are spiritually depraved and the true Jew, or the true child of God, is one whose heart is circumcised. All men are guilty before God and are justified by a law of faith in Christ, not by a law of works. Righteousness is determined by faith. It is not determined by works, circumcision, or law. And man's justification through faith in Christ results in peace with God who has poured out his love for mankind. So through one act of righteousness, Jesus provides a pathway of justification for man. God's grace does not permit the man of of faith in Christ to be a slave of sin, uh, which would result in death. Only Jesus Christ can deliver man from his wretched state before God, and Christ accepts the Christian free from sin and death to become his fellow heirs, as well as to be glorified with him. So through Christ, the Christian can overwhelmingly conquer the weapons of Satan. And so, so far what we have been able to consider and discuss and and be grounded in is the fact that the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is God's power, And that power will justify and save all sinners, sinners from among Jews, sinners from from among Gentiles, but sinners who believe and become vessels of God's righteousness. And so that's a summation statement for the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. The, The power of salvation is going to be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In chapter 9, there is a shift of thought slightly, a little change of argument or defense where now we're looking at is this idea of a defense of God's sovereignty, God's right and power to call and save men through that gospel. And so that's where we're going to look in these you know first three chapters 9 through 11 is this idea of a defense being made on behalf of what God has planned and purposed and done. And this defense what it is is it's addressing the problem or the concern that the Jew might have where you've got yeah uh, the idea that god has now in a sense you know brought in gentiles as well you know through this plan in christ and now you've got jews and gentiles are viewed or seen on the same plane and so there would be perhaps some questions some arguments Some, you know, concern, some disputing coming from the Jewish-mindedness of kinsmen of Paul. And so there is this defense for what God has done. And in these three chapters, what we'll notice is in chapter 9, there's going to be a focus on the idea of defense in relationship or in relation to divine will. All about divine will. And so that's going to be the focus of chapter 9. Chapter 10 is going to look in, in review of the idea in relation to Israel's responsibility. Chapter 9 focuses on God's will. In chapter you know, you know, 10, there's a focus on the idea of the responsibility of the Israelite. And then in chapter 11, there is a, okay, what is this you know, defense for the gospel in relation to the salvation of Jews? So that's kind of the, the presentation of, of these three chapters. And then there will be a little bit of shift in, in chapter 12. So today, we're going to focus on the first 18 verses of uh, chapter 9, where you know, I'm going to kind of use the same idea, the weekly briefing, where you've got a summation ta- statement being made, and that is, God the sovereign justly chose to show mercy upon children of promise. And I want you to you know, emphasize the phrase, justly chose to show mercy. That's really the core of chapter 9. And God has the sovereign right always, then and now, to decide how, when, where, whom receives his mercy. And so let's talk about that a little bit as we get into chapter 9. And it starts off with the first five verses where you have Paul is kind of expressing some of his own heart here. Um, in verse, you know, one of your questions, chapter, you know, in question number one in the sheets that you have, there are more copies of the questions. If you've not picked them up, they're on the AV ledge. If we run out, you know, please just let me know. We'll make more so everyone can have, you know, their questions. And they are dated for the quarter so you know where, what we'll be covering each week, Lord willing. So question one says, what caused sorrow and grief to Paul? So why, why was Paul, in a sense, upset? Why was he grieving about you know, this matter? Anybody? Right. And so here you've got the Jews in general, not all. Some, some were converted. You see that beginning in Acts 2. You got the Jew who has uh, rejected, in in a broader sense, Christ, and as a result, in rejecting Christ, what does that mean for you eternally? condemnation. You're lost. You know, even if you're a Jew, you know, you're lost. And so, this idea of I was God's people, you know, I was part of this great ancestral history, and now God's plan is such that. Jews and Gentiles are all judged on the same uh, on the same plane, you know, was somewhat uh, disconcerting to the Jewish thinking, and so Paul here is describing to his countrymen, to his Jewish brethren, because Paul was Jew, he was an Israelite, you know, who then converted out of Judaism to Christ, and now is one of the great missionaries of all time. And so he's expressing here his emotional concern for the disobedience and for the rejection uh, of the Jews. And he does not want them to misunderstand him. Yeah. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. Now, was Paul ever misunderstood? Yeah. Did, well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And from the Jewish sector, generally, yeah. What did they think about Paul? Generally speaking, the Jewish society. Did they like him? No, they did not like him. You know, in a very real sense, they hated Paul. You know, what did they, what, they, what did they want to happen to Paul? They want him dead. Yeah. And so, Paul can very much you understand, okay, I have just presented this great, great uh, revelation of God's power to save everybody through Christ and his gospel if they'll believe and become vessels of righteousness. God will save everybody who will do that. And so now the Jew, who has had this kind of privilege of a relationship, doesn't like this message, doesn't like the one who's, who's preaching it and writing about it, and so he wants them to understand in this letter, once he's writing to, you know, Christians in Rome, he's wanting to understand, you know, his emotions about this matter of People he cared for, people he loved, people he, were, he was related to. How he, okay, emotionally, how do I feel about their lost condition? How do I feel about they've rejected the only means of their salvation? That is, they've rejected their Messiah. And she so begins by basically saying that he genuinely cares and yearns. He wants them to be saved. That's what he wants most of all. And he expresses that in a very unique way, a very intense manner. You know, his sorrow is so deep that he says, If I could only what on their behalf? If I can be cut off from Christ, if I can be accursed on their behalf, he says, you know, he, he would be willing to do that. You know, that's that's how, how intense of a grief. Okay? So think about this. Parents, you know, if, if your child is in a dire strait, physically or spiritually, what are you willing to do? To what measure will you go to save them? That's, that's, the, the, that's the kind of emotion he's feeling here. Now, my question is, would Paul being cut off from Christ, if Paul becoming accursed on their behalf, would that do the Jews any good? No. It would not, it would not save them. Yeah. Paul understands that. He is simply trying to express the intense you know, sorrow and grief he really has for them. The idea that those who rejected Christ are lost is extremely upsetting to him. He is not their enemy, even though that's how they felt. He is not their enemy because he's trying to share them the only way to the Father. And so he's trying to make sure they understand as he makes this great defense for Christ and the gospel and God's sovereignty. He wants them to understand. He says, you know, I care about you. That's why I'm telling you this. You know, I care so much about you, I'm telling you the truth, even if you don't like to hear it. There's another great, you know, servant of God in the Old Testament that once expressed very similar, very similar emotion about what, you know, he was willing to do on behalf of his people. Who was that? Moses. uh, Someone tell me, uh, what occasion did he express that? Remember what the occasion was? It's back in Exodus. That's where the story of Moses begins. Exodus, what's the story? What's just happened? And God is angry with his people. The golden calf, right? That's that's the incident. And remember, in your own words, God kind of said, okay, Moses, uh, I'm going to do what? I'm, okay, I'm done with these folks. You know, just dance, get out of my way. I want to just be rid of them. I'll start it all over with you. That's, that was the intensity of God's anger. And Moses, Moses mediates. He intercedes. He prays to, to Jehovah God you know, on their behalf. And he does very similarly you know, it says, you know, the same thing Paul did. When he talked about, you know, just blot blot my name out of your book, but save your people. Of course, once again, blotting uh, Moses' name out of the book was not going to change the situation, because God then talks about, no, I will judge the sinner. (laughs) You know, The sinner is the one who's going to be held accountable. And so Paul is here just simply trying to express how deeply he cared, you know, in a very kind of profound and just almost an exaggerated way, how much he loves his brethren, the Jews. You know, those were his people. You know, those were his family. Jonathan. I was just going to say very briefly that this is what it looks like to be Christ like, to put on a part of what it looks like to be Christ like, to put on a Christ like spirit. It is a deep, intense concern for people who are lost. Yep. And, and, and really the, the, the idea of being willing to even be a sacrifice if, if that would even do any good, and that's because that's mm-hmm. what Christ did. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good. The, the very Christ you know, like minded heart and concern for the loss. And so, as he talks, talks about this concern, there are nine things that he brings out that basically emphasize the blessings and the distinctions that the Jew, the Israelite, the nation had received from God. And, and, so, and so, these nine things really do. They it made... Israel, an Israelite, a special people of God. And these things, some of these things are very, you know, in the sense, very fleshly, kind of centered. Others are a little bit more spiritually, you know, advantageous. But these are things all related to the Jews. And yet, in spite of the fact they, they were part of this amazing plan, he says, you know, the, the, thing, the thing is, they still rejected the eternal plan. You, know, you were part of all of this and you you, know, you have still rejected. But very quickly I'm going to just kind of run through. You think about it, the idea that he says, you know, you, you who are Israelites. And you think, okay, where where is the the name Israel? Where did that originate? Jacob, on what occasion? When Jacob wrestled and he prevailed. And God says, your name's no longer Jacob, but now it is Israel. From that point on, he's known as Israel. And they became Israelites. So even then the name itself has great significance. And you talk about the idea of the, the adoption of sons. You know, God told Moses back in Exodus 4, verse 22, when you go to Pharaoh, tell them, Israel is my son, my firstborn. See. So God chose these this people, this nation to be his. The idea of the glory—you know—think of all the different times where they, some aspect of God's glory is manifested, and they were witnesses of that. You know, what about Mount Sinai? What happened in Mount Sinai that demonstrated the glory of God? You got the—you got the shaking, the earthquake. You got the sound, the thunder. You got the lightning. You got the smoke. All of that's going on, and Israel below saw this. That's just one of the many things. That you know, clearly showed they were witnesses and participants in the sense of the glory that came with this relationship with God. You know, the, the filling of the tabernacle when it was completed and the filling of the, the temple. And it was such, the glory filled that, that the, the priest could what? Not do what? They couldn't stay in. You know, they had to come out of that, come, come out of that structure. You have the idea of the covenants. He says they are part of that. This is part of what made you special and important to God, the idea of the covenants. From Abraham onward, starting with Abraham onward, God made a number of different covenants with them. That's the point. God made these covenants with them. He didn't make these covenants with all the other nations. They too were made in the image of God. They were creatures of God. God is still their creator, but he chose them and gave them covenants, the giving of the law. It was designed to set Israel apart from the world, and it taught them how to love God, how to serve God. I think of a couple of New Testament passages. For example, Ephesians 2, when talking about how in Christ we're one, the two become one in Christ. Christ is the prince of peace. It talks about how, you know, you who were the uncircumcised, you know, were alienated from the commonwealth uh, of Israel, strangers to the covenants. You were strangers to the covenants, and you were without God as a result. See? So there's significance to this. Or the giving of the law in Galatians 3.21. If there was a law that could have given life, what does Paul argue there in 3.21? Righteousness could have been attained, but say they, they didn't. The point they didn't. The, the fault was not in the law, the fault was in the people, in their hearts, in their wills, in their un, unbelief. The service, you think of Israel's covenant relationship here, granted them the privilege, the privilege to be able to draw near to God in worship. They had a unique relationship. You think about you know on the Day of Atonement, and the the high priest going into the most holy place. Then you know that, that you know that was a significant moment to express of the intimate relationship that God had with them. He didn't have that relationship with the rest of the world at the time. The promises. You know, for centuries, God had made promise after promise after promise to these children, and he always kept them. The fathers, you know, because of the faith of their forefathers, they are being greatly blessed, and then finally, the Christ according to the flesh. Israel was a chosen family, a chosen people, to bring the Messiah into the world, to bring the Anointed One, the Son of God, into the world, so that Emmanuel could walk among men. And all the fulfilled prophecies confirmed such was God's plan to redeem. And, in, and, to, and you go through all that list and you come down to verse five. Look in your, in your text of your Bible where you have this expression of emotion and, and recognizing the distinction that they had as a people you know, in history to God. He says, from whom is the Christ according to the flesh? Who? Now listen, this Christ that is according to the flesh that's come through this god planned family and nation this christ who is overall god blessed forever it's you just you, you've gone from this okay you know i love you i care for you you know please don't misunderstand you know you know what i'm saying yes you know you know you, we were a very distinctive special people to God, to God's purpose, but ultimately it centers around Christ. Christ, who, yes, he came through through our you know, our family history, our national history. Yes, this is how Christ came to the world, but this Christ that is according to the flesh from us, who is he? Well, he's the one who is over all things now, and he's God, blessed forever. And then Paul says, amen. That's just the introduction to chapter 9. And so with that said, you very quickly go into this, this idea of God you know, trying to, through, through the Spirit and Paul's writing, to, you know, God or Christ showing that God has justly willed that his children are those children who are according to his promise. It's not according to the flesh. That's not what makes you my child anymore. What makes you a child of God now is according to a promise and promises that God has made. Then that does not mean that the, the, uh, the physical lineage of Israel did not play a role. Yes, it played a very significant role, but it played that significant role. Why? Because God made some promises. That's why. Because God made those choices they were a chosen people, but they were chosen people of, you know, of God based upon God's faithfulness. What if it had been based on Israel's faithfulness? What would have happened? Would have Say it again louder. He would have them. It would have, yeah, he would have destroyed them. The whole plan would have fallen apart. Yeah, Hypothetically, Christ could not have come. Now, fortunately, God didn't put it all in the hands of fallible sinners. You know, no, God made some promises, and he chose vessels all along through history. And yes, the nation of Israel was all part of that wonderful plan of God, but it's God's faithfulness to the promise that makes it happen. And the point is, God has, you know, this idea, okay, God is rejecting the Jew that rejects Christ. That concept that has been introduced in the first eight chapters, God is going to reject Jews who reject Christ, while at the same time, he's going to receive Gentiles who receive Christ. Point is, God has not gone back on his word. God has not gone back. He he has been and is always faithful to his purpose. He's always faithful to his promise. So the idea Gentiles being accepted as children of God is true to God's word. See, this is a defense. The gospel has already been presented in a sense, in a nutshell, in chapters one through eight. Now he says, here's a defense for God." And why he did what he did and how he did it. And you know, really, this, it's already introduced. This point is introduced. For example, in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, Carrie referred to this, 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 you know, these couple verses a number of times as he was presenting you know, the, the, the wonderful discourse of the first eight chapters, where it talks there about who is. The true Jew, who is the true child of God is it because your your great 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 granddad was Abraham? no that 's not what makes you a true true uh, jew but no he says it's one who is is inward, who has circumcised his heart he 's a Jew by the spirit, not by the letter you know, he's already so he 's already introduced this idea you know, of God's word is not you know, being invalidated here in what's happening through Christ. You know, the child of God is one who circumcised the heart. It's not the circumcision of the flesh anymore. It's the circumcision of the heart. Romans 7, I think, also implies it in verse 6 when talking about the law. It says, you've been released from the law. You've been released from the law there, having died to that by which you, you know, we were bound, so that we may serve in the news of the Spirit, not in the oldness of that. When you think about in the early church, in in the days of the first century, and the struggles and the conflicts that that took place among some of those churches, when you had particularly a mixture of Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians, what often were the two things the Jews? had not quite all figured out that the Gentiles didn't have to do. What are the two things? Circumcision and what else? Keeping the law. Go back to Acts fifteen. You know, know, Acts fifteen. You know, know, these converted Jews are going trying to go. Well, you Gentiles now. Okay, yes, you're you're part of God's people now, but you're going to have to be circumcised just like us, and you're going to have to keep the law of Moses just like us, and that is contrary to the good news of Christ. And so, you know, the point is, God has not gone back in his word because he's accepting Gentiles through the gospel of Christ and accepting Jews through the gospel of Christ, and it's not through physical circumcision, and it's not through the law of Moses that was given at Mount Sinai. Yeah, God, God is true to his word. God is sovereign, and he can make the decision. And so he makes the point now that, okay, God has the right to choose. God has the right to establish who his children are going to be. Yeah, he, he gets to decide, this, this kind of person is going to be my child, The point here, he's not choosing on the sense of individual, eternal salvation, the idea of God predestinating this specific person. No, that's not the argument here, and at all. That is far from it. He's basically, this is the means of my choosing. It's based upon my sovereignty. It's based upon my plan, my purpose, my promise. And yes, I made some choices along the way, but he says, but ultimately, I have the right to do that because I am God. Now remember Jew and Gentile alike are sinners. You know that's the first three chapters of Romans that the Jew and the Gentile are on equal plane before God. And the Jews didn't like that. Yeah. You know, take for example the the story of you know the two men who are praying. You know, you got you know, you've got the one who is you know the Pharisee. and You got the other who is the tax collector, and now those are just two Jews. <laughs> you know, you know. So you're not even talking about a, a Jew and a Gentile. You're talking about two Jews who you know are viewed very differently. And you and in, in that and in that story, Jesus talks. What what kind of person, what kind of heart, is going to be accepted? See, and so. Remember, Jews and Gentiles alike are sinners. And, and as a sinner, we are at enmity with God. In sin, we are at enmity with God. You know, you know we don't want to call ourselves enemies. That's, you know, that's a, hard to see ourselves. But when, when I am choosing a path of sin and I'm walking on that path of darkness... In, in, in that action, in that conduct, on that, on that path, on that road, I am at enmity with the God who created me, the Father who's loved me, the Lord who has saved me and cleansed me. I am at enmity and the Spirit who's revealed his truth to me. And so Paul, by the Spirit, is, is going to present here the point that God has every right to choose, and actually the idea is that Israel's history testifies to that. God decided, God decided which descendants would be chosen. So, question three, wh- whom has God chosen will be considered descendants of Abraham and would be God's children? Who was chosen to be the descendants of Abraham? Who were the chosen descendants? Okay, you got, who's the first one? Not that He's not the first one. First one is who? Isaac Isaac's the first one Then you got Jacob that that, those are the, the vessels that God chose to emphasize the idea that my plan To have children is by my choice according to what I promised Now, let me ask you this question You know name name some children of Abraham who are not chosen Ishmael is one. Is that the only one of Abraham? Right. No, he had like a right, yeah, number. Yeah, 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 most of us don't even know those names, because you know, that's not the story really, you know, we don't learn from childhood about uh, Keturah and all those. And so if you, you know, named him, it'd be Zimran, Jaxan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. I mean, he had six more children after Sarah passed away, and he took Keturah as his wife. And so if you count Ishmael, that's seven sons, direct sons of Abraham, God did not choose. Okay. God has the right to decide which, which son is going to be the son I'm going to use to carry out the promise I made to Abraham. And so, you, you know, so with that, you've got, okay, this son, and okay, and so yeah, oh, those sons, they were not children of Sarah. Okay, so someone, okay, well, so they're not, you know, they're not part of the Abraham Sarah thing. But he goes from that, though, and then he goes to, but let me tell you about Rebecca. Yeah, you know, let me tell you about Rebecca, because in that relationship, there was no other woman involved. Isaac you know, did not have other women. Abraham. You know, have, has Ishmael by Hagar, and then you've got Sarah and Isaac, and then you've got Keturah and six more children. But with Rebecca, you know, you've got two sons by the same dad and the same mom. And God chose only one of those to be, you know, what's it, the plan. that's does carry out his purpose ultimately that the seed of Abraham would bless all nations. And so you think about that idea of, of this choosing Jacob. And so why did God choose? This is question four. Why did God choose Jacob before he was born? Huh? Okay, he knew their thoughts. All right. Right. To emphasize, it is not done by merit. It's not by, you know, okay, you know, Esau was a bad guy. Jacob was a good guy. You know, there's questions about that. <laughs> you know, but anyway, if you want to kind of, imitate, okay, you know, but Jacob's the better one. No, God, I want you to understand, he says, I chose, actually, he chose Isaac before he's born. He chose both of them before birth. You know, And but he says here in Romans, and I think this is a very powerful point in verse eleven when he says, you know, though the twins were not yet born, had not done anything good or bad, there's the you know the point that Mitch makes, merit. You know, is not based upon merit, you know, worthiness, unworthiness, that's not what it's based upon. He said, But I did this so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand. I did it this way, so you would understand, I did the choosing. And I did it before they even were out of the womb, because you know my choosing is not simply based that of works; it's based upon what I decide, it's based upon what I say, it's based upon what who I call. You see that at the end of verse eleven, but because of him who calls, you know. Interesting, he doesn't say, but because of him who called that who was called, you know. The emphasis is not on Jacob. The emphasis is on God. It's based upon God's plan. It's based upon God's purpose. And that's why the idea here is the sovereignty of God being defended in what he has done in providing salvation now through his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, for all men that would believe and become vessels of righteousness. So you think about that, you know, particularly there in when talking to Rebecca. If you recall, you know, back in Genesis, this is you know, in Genesis 25. God's answer is in response to an inquiry of Rebecca. You know, you know, Rebecca doesn't know yet that she has twins, and but she is she's feeling it, and she inquires of God about this. And so it is, in, it is in that case in Genesis chapter 25 that then God answers Rebekah you know, in regarding to this point. And so I just want to read the verse that, you know, that you know, he, the answer that he gives her. He says, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger you know, and you look here in Romans chapter 9, you know, that, that last phrase is kind of chosen, the older shall serve the younger, you know, uh, emphasizing God's plan. And then he jumps over to a quotation from Malachi when he says, Esau uh, I, I hated, but you know, Jacob I have loved. And so, when, so even in the beginning, when you've got these two boys in the womb of Rebekah, is is God thinking about the individual, or is He focusing on the nations? He's focusing on the nations. So He's not he, His His choosing here, His calling here, His purposing here, is not is not about right now individual salvation, but rather God choosing ultimately. Okay, there's going to be two nations. Now that's going to come farther down you know, the history in Old Testament you know, time period. But he says there's going to be two nations that grow out of these two boys. And, he said, and that's what he's focusing on. And it's, it's the two nations. And, and so it's not that, okay, Esau is going to serve Jacob personally. The point is the nation Edom will serve the nation Israel. That's the point he's making. And and, and so God has the right to choose what family he's going to have to bring Christ into the world. It's not based upon merit. It's not based upon kind of worthiness. It's not based upon a person's thoughts or a person's traditions. It's all based upon what God decided, God chose, God called, God purposed. And so therefore, the point in all this, all of this is being said to make this, really this point in the book of Romans is, therefore God rightfully chose how and who to redeem—that's the point. God chose in Israel history. It amplifies and emphasizes the fact that God did the choosing. It wasn't based upon Israel's goodness or worthiness, or oh, they were just so lovable little little boys, you know. And I just couldn't help myself. No, it was all part of this greater plan, you know, and, and, and just God sighing. How am I going to redeem mankind, and who am I going to redeem from among mankind? Who am I going to adopt? Who will I save? And I, that's really already been answered in the first eight chapters. It's going to be through God's anointed one, Christ, just like Ephesians 1 talked about. Before the foundation of the world, God decided, in Christ will be all blessings. It's going to be for all men. You know, Great Commission, Mark 16, 15. You know, where did, where did, where did Christ tell the apostles to go? Go to all creation. Yeah. Go and preach to the gospel to all creatures. Yeah. Who's going to be saved? What's well, going to be the obedient faith. And so you see that in Acts 2, when you have, okay, whoever calls on the Lord will be saved, and those that receive the word were baptized. Yeah. Uh, you see in Acts 10, when Peter's you know, arguing with, not arguing, but you know, presenting to, you know, to, to Cornelius, about God does not show partiality, God is not prejudiced, doesn't show prejudice, but from all nations, those that fear God and does what please him, God accepts them, right? That's the point here, you know, when he says, okay, God chose, you know, Abraham, and he chose Isaac, and he chose Jacob, you know, and when he made these choices with Isaac and Jacob, it had nothing to do personally with you, (laughs) had all to do with my greater plan. That I'm going to save sinners. I'm going to save unworthy people. Tali over here. I was just going to say, and it's all about who God is. Yes. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly wise. He's perfectly righteous. It's all about him. Right. Really. Mm-hmm. And it's not, it's not about the Jew. Yeah, uh, and I think, and, but that's how the Jews are feeling. The Jews feel it's all about us. You know, we are sons of Abraham, you know. We've, you know, like think about some of the things the Jews, you know, you know said to Jesus and they're and trying to defend themselves, you know. And you, and you see, you see the, the arrogance or, you know, the misunderstanding or maybe even the ignorance, you know, of, of really what the law and the prophets and the Psalms were teaching all along the way. We're not gonna be able to finish, you know, my last thoughts, but I'll go ahead and throw this up, and we'll kind of pick up on this, you know, at the beginning of next, next week, and we'll finish chapter nine, Lord willing. But basically, in the last few verses of this argument, the point is, you know, however God offers, however God shows mercy, it's his sovereign right to decide. You know, you know, God chose Isaac, God chose, you know, Jacob to be his instruments, His vessels for his purpose. And so therefore, God accepting now the Gentile, the Gentile who believes in Christ and believes Christ, is not out of harmony with God's character. God is not being unfair. He's not being unjust. He's not contradicting himself in what's going on here. And so when he's justifying the Jew and the Gentile in the same way, you know, he's holding true to his character. He's holding true to his word. For example, are mercy and grace the rights of the recipients? No, is it? Are there moments, and this is a very probing question. You know, there, you know and, you, and I'm not asking for any you know answers invisibly here. But are there moments, perhaps, in your life, you know, when you are in in a in, in some difficulty, some moment, and you are you are crying out for God's mercy? Is there moments that maybe you wrestle with the idea, God, you know, I deserve this? Just think about that. Because, you know, God is the one who governs mercy and God's the one who administers mercy. It's not our will, it's not our works. But for the Jew, they kind of looked at themselves, they are the regulators of the mercy of God. And that was so contradictory to God. Thank you very much for your attention appreciate your comments uh, you know lord willing we'll like I say pick up with you know those last verses that just flow right into the the rest of the chapter appreciate it